I wonder how many of us have ever, you know, experienced the, the crushing blow of, of realizing that you're, you're too late. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's past, okay? It's now, you know, 2017, January 1st. And maybe you, you thought, well, I need to make this donation so I could get this tax break. And now you realize it's too late for that. Or maybe it's some other kind of crushing blow because you, 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 you intended to do something, but you realize it's too late. I'll never forget probably my most embarrassing pastoral moment. And I don't mean embarrassing, ha ha, that's funny. I mean embarrassing. I mean shameful moment when I just, I just really let somebody down and, it was a young lady that was working as a waitress in a local uh, restaurant called Waffle House. Anybody ever heard of Waffle House? Kind of as a chain from back east. And, and, and so she was there. And my wife and I had built a relationship with her. And, and in fact, she had come on Friend Day. She had attended Friend Day. And then she came another Sunday after that. And this relationship was building. The bridge was being put together. And, and, and we uh, was just, you know, real excited about what God was doing. In fact, she asked me. She was dating a, a, a gentleman. And she asked me to perform the marriage ceremony for her and her, her future husband. I said, sure, I'd love to do that. And so we went through the process of planning and pre-marriage counseling. And we went to the rehearsal, of course. And I conducted the rehearsal and had the rehearsal dinner. And then I went to bed, you know, with all the intention in the world, I'm excited about this ceremony that I'm getting to participate in and conduct as her new pastor. And I'm in bed and I'm sleeping and it's all night, of course. And then the next morning, I hear the phone ring. You ever hear the phone phone ring in such a way that as soon as you wake up, there's this crushing reality that you're too late that you're late for something. You see, she had, in my defense, she was having a sunrise marriage ceremony. Who does that? <laughs> Who gets married at sunrise? She was getting married at sunrise at a lake and they were on the dock and people were in all their dress clothes and they're waiting for the pastor and they're waiting for the pastor and the pastor did not show up. About an hour late, she calls me. I take 10 minutes to get ready real fast and put my suit on. I make a 45 minute drive. Two hours later, the sun is blaring in the sky. And I was too late. And I want to tell you, when I walked out on that dock and everybody's waiting for me and, you know, my, my, it didn't make it good that my, my shoes were resounding. My dress shoes were, you know, clicking on the dock in a very loud way. And it was just as if it was saying, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And, and of course, everybody's watching me. Their eyes are upon me. And I wish I could tell you some kind of funny, happy ending, but that there is none. I was too late. It, it can be a crushing blow when you're too late. Maybe it's a lost love. Too late. Maybe it's, it's possible it's a promise that you made to somebody and now the bridge has been burned and you cannot feel the, fulfill that promise. You're too late. Maybe it's, it's possible that you wanted to apologize to somebody and they now are with Jesus. Or they've moved away and you just realize it's, it's too late. It, it, can, it can be a crushing blow when, when you're too late for something. <laughs> Kind of funny kind of way. I love the story of this little uh, executive that had come in the office and the 
the CEO was there. It was the holidays, and so the secretaries were gone, and the CEO had hardly really ever been in the area where the office equipment was. And he had a piece of paper in his hand, and he's trying to turn this the shredder on, actually. He's trying to figure out how to turn the power on the shredder. And so this young executive comes in, and the CEO turns to him. He says, can you help me turn this thing on? The secretary's gone. I don't know how these machines work, or but but can you turn this on and help me? And the young executive said, yeah. And so he powered it up, and he, he took this document. And the CEO says, now that's really an important document. And so the young executive put it there in the machine, the shredder, and it began to take it. And, and so the CEO seriously kind of rubbed his hands. Excellent. Good. He says, now all I need is one copy. <laughs> it was a shredder. It, it can be a crushing blow when you're too late for something. What about our, what about society? I mean, we're talking about being too late, and I'm thinking about the spirituality, the morality of society today. I came across an article, and in the article, it was giving us some statistics as Americans had been polled. And one of the statistics, which is interesting, I want to compare with us this morning. One of the statistics say that 74%, listen, 74% of Americans believe that morals are weaker today than they were 20 years ago. In fact, 50% of those polled said that morality is much weaker today than 20 years ago. I have a young man that's going to help me. Tyler, won't you jump up in your team? And I, I'm just curious on what that percentage, how that will compare with this congregation in regards to how many of us believe that, that morality is weaker now than 20 years ago, and maybe you weren't alive 20 years ago, then just go on your gut feeling, okay, what you've been hearing from other people. So we're going to find out what percentage of us believe that morality is lower today than 20 years ago. So let's figure that out. Raise your hand if you believe that morality is lower today than it was 20 years ago in regards to what is right and wrong, of course. Just raise your hand, take a moment, and hold it up in the air for a while uh, while we begin to uh, make this count happen. We're going we're gonna to just kind of count it and uh, then give you the percentage of this congregation. Is morality, in other words, uh, are the morals of individuals weaker now than they were 20 years ago. I mean, how are we doing really as a church in society? Keep your hands up. Uh, he's figuring it out. He's just kind of uh, tabulating. He's doing a real quick count. Tyler's an accountant, and uh, literally, and he's helping us out this morning. 85% of this congregation believes that morals or morality is lower now than it was 20 years ago. Interesting statistics. And, and uh, also, the poll says that 68% of Americans say it is due to the entertainment, media, and news industries. Let me read that again. 68% of Americans say it is due to the entertainment, media, and news industries. Uh, show of hands, how many believe that? that? That the entertainment and media and news industries have affected... Uh, and caused the low morality in America today. I'm not talking about, you know, um, well, anyway, 65% say, uh, here's another statistic, 65% say, here's what the study says now, 65% say that sex outside of marriage is acceptable. Another major finding is that America is losing its fear of God, which is interesting Considering that part of the church culture is trying to do 
is, is, is moving in a direction that's trying to attract young people be, by making God less fearful, more palatable, by talking about less judgment and not talking about sin and saying that there is no hell and all these things, this movement that is happening to make it more palatable. So it's interesting that in the statistics, it's saying that in America, uh, America is losing its fear of, of God. And then there's this, this, this moral decline. So despite the moral decline, now on the positive side, I want to be positive, America still believes in classical virtues. 87% said they would do what is right even if they are embarrassed in front of their friends and would help a neighbor in need even if they know the favor would not be returned. I think that's a very good positive there. I mean, the good things are happening. This is a great time. Amen. And then overall, here's what the survey gives us. Overall, it says... That commitment to charity is high. Commitment to charity is high. So, I mean, how, how do we fit this all together? How do we process this information in regards to lack of fear of God? But yet there is this now this this high, you know, movement and charity and all this. I mean, how, how do we how do we put the pieces together? I mean, I understand we could say we're theists. I mean, we've been theists. And, and, and of course, the theist is that we believe in one true God. Amen. And there's no question about that. We make no excuses that we, we are theists. There, there's, there's no question. But what has unfolded in a huge way is the shift in today's culture. We're used to live in the society that's primarily theistic. Now we have a very large piece of the pie that is non-theistic or, or maybe they're spiritual in some other ways than, than the traditional way that we believe in as being a biblical way, you know, to God. And so I understand there's this shift that's happened and, and it's interesting because you see, it used to be that the burden was on the shoulders of the non-theist or the atheist to explain why they're atheists because we lived in a theistic society. But now it seems like in the shift, there is this burden that is now upon the theist, on those that believe in one true God, that there's this burden. And it seems like culture and society is saying, where's the evidence? There is no creator. There is no God. And the argument is, why must moral values come from what man has created as as a being that has superhuman status in this anthropomorphic idea of one who is named Jesus Christ, assuming that morals must and needs to come from a source greater than ourselves. This is then the reasoning behind the rejection of theistic faith. Now, bear with me. Placing value on us as humans, deciding our own value, us deciding our own value and morality. So the concept here is that those who are governing are governing themselves. And they want to say, okay, I'm deciding this is what's right or wrong. I'm making the decision of whether, you know, this is going to be good for, for mankind. I guess the question would be then how, how has that been working? I mean, for other places. Other other scenarios or maybe weaker countries that have dictators and all their decisions are humanistic decisions. Like Dr. Phil says, how is that working for you? How is that working out? I guess maybe, you know, the cycle of humanistic tendencies still remain as a part of the fray. And that that the ideal world in, in maybe culture today would be perhaps to be our own gods. To, to design our own moral compass because of the common interests of, uh, of the species of human beings. 
You know, and this then would cross all boundaries and all cultures, and we'd have this utopia, and we'd say, okay, now this is fine because we get to make the decisions. And so we kind of see that just a bit. But the problem, the problem is the nature of this thing that we have to live with, or this thing that we have to live within, that the Bible identifies, and what the Bible identifies is that the problem is this thing that is called flesh. This thing that is called flesh. In fact, go to Galatians with me. This is our text, Galatians chapter 5, and looking at verse 17. Galatians chapter 5, looking at verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. Listen to this. The flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. So as we're processing this and trying to piece this together and balance this with where culture is today and that humanistic tendency saying, OK, I want to I want to decide what's right or wrong. I, I want to, you know, make the, the call here. How does that balance with this statement that we read in the word of God that says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. And then go to Galatians chapter 5 verse 19, just drop down a couple of verses. The evidence of the works of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, etc., and etc., etc. So the problem with a godless society, I mean a fully humanistic way of living life, is this component, you see... Of the flesh. That's the fly in the ointment. That, that is what's running amok. And folks, America is not the first place or the first society to have its foundation shaken. America is not the first people to be tempted to pursue their personal interests. Rather, the convictions that are moral and that are right, that are biblical. I guess for me, the reminder, I mean, my New Testament or New Year statement is this. The kingdom of God is still the kingdom of God. It may appear as if things are too late, whether it's defining family or whether it's the ideologies that we have as Christians. It may appear as if things are too late. But, folks, here's the good news. It's a great time to be a church. And the kingdom of God is still the kingdom of God. I believe that. Amen. It's not too late. It's not too late to bind together as God's people. It's not too late to be Christian and live Christianly and reach those that are hurting and those that are down and out and those that are less fortunate. It's not too late. It's not too late to be the church. And it's not too late for you and I this morning to be the one that God has called us to be. It's not too late. It's not too late, church, to be the church as God has called us to be the church. I I uh, love the story of the phone call that I received uh, not too long ago. It was a couple of years ago. I got a phone call from a, a young lady by the name of uh, Christy Thomas. In fact, she she and her family was here just a couple. Uh, they were here a couple of weeks ago. And Christy was up in Tennessee and she had called me because they had a, a family that had come likely on maybe their last vacation. Because the mom was 25 years of age. They had two children and she had a terrible disease. And she was going to die. And so they were there in Florida along the beach there, St. Petersburg. And they were probably likely on her last vacation. 
And she ended up in the hospital in St. Pete, there, St. Petersburg. And so Christy calls me, it's that person up at this church in the north, and I'm at a church in the south. And, and so Christy calls me and tells me about the story and said, will you go visit her? And I said, yes, somebody else from the church up north calls the church down south. Somebody up the church up north calls the church down south. Folks, it was the church being the church and surrounding somebody with the love of Christ. It's not too late. Hallelujah. It's not too late for the church to be the church. I, uh, I was blown away sitting at the dining room table with a man by the name of Mike McKelly. Mike McKelly was, is a lifer in the military. He's, he, he's a Green Beret, Special Forces, captain of a team. I think, uh, at the time, he had about 11 on his team. His responsibility, this was, when, this was during the war-torn years of Afghanistan. And uh, he had uh, he'd got himself in a predicament. He and his 11 team members were there in Afghanistan, and they were responsible for training 200 Afghan soldiers. They were training 200 soldiers, and in the midst out in the country, wherever that was, they came across 1,400 insurgents. And what happened is the 1,400 insurgents began to attack. The 200 Afghan soldiers that were being trained ran away. Eleven of our soldiers were pinned down on a hill for 36 hours. About six or eight months later, Mike is out of the hospital and he calls me up. You see, until then, it was, it was a wife thing. Church was a wife thing. Mike was this man, this burly special forces guy that had no interest in the spiritual things of life. I mean, that wasn't manly. But he calls me about eight months afterwards when he gets out of the hospital. And he asks if I could come over. The wife, Judy, and the kids are gone. And he says, I, I need to talk with you. I go over and I sit across that dining room table. I'll never forget the emotion, the electric-filled emotion of that room. As he hardly could speak. And he's now sitting there with the prosthetic on this arm. His left arm was blown off at the elbow. His lung was collapsed. He had a hole in his leg. He said he could see daylight through. The 11 men fighting 1,400 soldiers. He's crying. He says, Pastor, I had to kill for 36 hours to survive. I I cannot even imagine that. What happened, they called in friendly fire or called in some air support and they came and dropped bombs. And what happened is one of the bombs were too close, killed one of his teammates, of course, maimed more than one. He included a miracle that he survived. In the midst of all of that, I know it's horrific. I understand that. He calls the pastor. And I'm sitting across the table and he's trembling, sharing this horrific story. And I'm mostly listening. I cannot relate. I'm mostly listening. But you know what he was concerned about? He was concerned that he was almost too late to know who God is. And at that table, I got to share who Jesus was. I got to share with him from my heart about how God loves Man, all of mankind, and that God can work in his life, and that God can forgive him. And ladies and gentlemen, I love it when the church becomes the church. That's the message for the new year, that it is not too late, and it's not too late to receive the grace of God 
in your life. You could have been through war. Your life could be whatever. It's not too late to receive the grace of God. God loves you today. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you a great year. It's not too late for the love, the grace of God. It's not too late to cast your eyes towards heaven. It's not too late to receive him and say, God, I choose you. And I need your help to be the loving person you've called me to be. It's not too late to be the church. Our heads are bowed. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I'm wondering if there's some here today that is saying, God, you know my life. You know my past. You know what I'm going through. You know the horrific scenario that I've had to live through. God, only you know what I'm dealing with. Only you know my temptations. Only you know my sins. Only you know. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us be the church. I pray that you'd help us be the hands and feet of Christ. But I pray, Lord, that today for that one that is needing to feel the, 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 the washing of your spirit, the forgiveness of your blood today, Lord, I pray that you would just touch that one. I pray that you would just touch them right now and just answer their prayers. They're calling out to you. Your head's bowed and eyes closed. I don't want to do anything else right now, but just give you a chance to bow your head and close your eyes and say, Jesus, I need your love today. I need your forgiveness in my life. Lord, I need hope because I feel that I've done too much. I feel that I've made some missteps. I feel that I've disappointed you. Lord, I need to know you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you just speak to that heart right now. Right now, as they're praying that prayer, Lord, I need to know you. God, I need your forgiveness. I need your touch right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You and Jesus, right now, you're praying, you're talking to him. Lord, I need your help. I need your anointing in my life. I need you to touch me, forgive me. Thank you, Father, for hearing that prayer. I invite you as you're just bowing your head. You're praying that way right now. And you're saying, Lord, I need... I need your touch. I need your presence in my life. If you're praying that way, just lift your hand up between you and the Lord. Nobody's looking around. Just between you and the Lord. God bless you. Lift your hand up right now. Just say, Lord, I need your touch. I need your presence in my life. Lord, I need you to wash me. Make me clean. Forgive me. Somebody else. Maybe you're confessing to God. That's okay. He wants to, he wants to receive you right now. Somebody else. Just lift your hand right there where you're at. Thank you, Father. I confess to you today. I bring it to you today, right now. Somebody else, just say, Lord, I need your touch. Thank you, God, for the hope that I have in Christ, forgiving me, washing me, making me clean. I choose you today. Hallelujah, Father. This is going to be a good year. I choose you today. Help us, Father, be the church. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And God's people said, Amen.